Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and I have a guest who hopefully some of you have heard, maybe on Danny Lennon's podcast, um, or just generally over the internet because uh, we're all about optimizing things, um, and sleep is something that we're going to be talking about today with Dan Pardy. So Dan, I mean, from reading his bio, his life's work centers around kind of helping people live healthily um, and sleep, as we know, is a major part of that. Um, and he's the CEO of humanos.me, uh, which leverages a novel behavior model to promote healthy fluency, skill development and lifestyle insights to help people master their health practice. Um, so he investigates how lifestyle factors like sleep influence decision making cognitive performance and metabolism so um, there's been some kind of nice buzzwords there that have got people excited about sleep impacting things like metabolism performance um, that's definitely something we want to delve into so I don't know if you want to add anything to that Dan um, give some more context to the listeners yeah sure I'll just say that I've been uh, thank you for having me and I've been interested in, gosh, anything related to health for my whole life. And I played sports growing up and I got an injury and that made me sort of focus on my body earlier in my life, I think. And that just sort of flowered into being interested in all sorts of questions related to the body, including body composition goals, including uh, mental performance, including sleep. So I had an opportunity to study sleep through work and it was very serendipitous. So I didn't necessarily pursue that job because of it was sleep. But once I got into this role, um, my interest in sleep really exploded and it's stayed pretty high since then. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of people usually ask, how'd you get into sleep? And it's a, I think it's going to be a track that a lot of people will pursue going into now, but gosh, it's been, you know, probably 10 or 15 years ago, it was still sort of fringe, not in terms of the quality of the science, but just that it wasn't a formal track that many people knew that they wanted to pursue as they were starting their career. <laughs> now it's becoming that, um, the, you know, and that's because there's of course a lot of, uh, you know, conditions related to sleep, uh, like insomnia and narcolepsy and restless leg syndrome and sleep apnea, those types of issues. But you don't have to have one of those types of issues in order to be affected by sleep significantly. Uh, I actually like doing work in areas like that. So you can have, you know, go to a cocktail party and people, you know, know what you do versus <laughs> I have a friend who was studying microvascular and rat arterial anastomoses and I you know. <laughs> People don't ask you what you do, do they? Or they don't. They don't go. They don't ask a second question once you tell them what you do, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's true. <laughs> so that's a little bit back, more background to me. No, yeah, and I think um, sleep in general is becoming a really interesting area for a lot of people who are kind of following this podcast, at least, where they they kind of people know a lot now about training. They know a lot about nutrition in terms of what we can do to manipulate our body composition. And now, emerging areas are becoming things like sleep digestive health mm -hmm. um, and something mm -hmm. I mean only in the past probably couple of years is people have been starting to think about oh right I'm, maybe I need to track my sleep and monitor it and we've got items like Fitbits which I'm sure we might have some time to talk about whether they're useful for monitoring our sleep and things like this so um, yep. optimizing sleep for body composition is what we want uh, out of this podcast and that's hopefully what we're going to get into so um Maybe if I open the floor with kind of a broad question, allow you to kind of narrow down and I might kind of pick apart some other questions. So sure. in terms of kind of sleep, in terms of kind of fat loss or even fat gain, how does 
sleep have a role with that um because i know it's there's loads of different kind of inputs and outputs but if you if you kind of start off how you see it impacting fat loss or fat gain yeah and i'll i'll take um just one step back to add a little bit more to my background so as i started getting into sleep there were so many different subjects that i was interested in but sleep and metabolism and body fat regulation was one that you know really stood out and so that is what i do in my own uh, research. So I, I work at um, in Leiden, so Leiden University in the Netherlands. And I work with the departments of endocrinology and neurology there. And then I work at Stanford in their behavioral sciences uh, in Jamie Zeitzer's circadian biology lab. So I've got this nice team of uh, much smarter people than myself to work with. And uh, yeah, so that's out of all the different things that are interesting in sleep, this is, I was very interested in the intersection between sleep, behavior, um, eating, particularly eating behavior, brain performance, metabolism, all related to, you know, how do, you're addressing body fat mostly. Uh, it's a major public health concern, right? So on one end of the spectrum, you've got, um, you know, obesity has risen to a degree over the last 40 years. It's, it's an absolute epidemic. And the comorbidities that are associated with obesity, uh, there's probably 50 to 100. And so if you think about that, <clears throat> there's something that's happening uh, when people put on excess body fat that is then um, associating for sure, but potentially contributing to, likely, uh, to a, uh, a state of, uh, within the body that is then causing uh, other conditions. And it's probably because fat itself is an excretory gland that is releasing mostly inflammatory compounds. And so you generally upregulate the amount of inflammation circulating in the body, then we do know that that is almost like, you know, uh, the, the right situation for metal to rust, right? It's causing a the organs, it's causing um, systems to perform uh, less than optimally and then likely turn over time into something's going to break, right? Mm-hmm. Something's going to break. You're going to have decreased ability to regulate glucose. Your brain is going to not perform as well, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that's, it's, it's scary. And then the other end of the spectrum can modifying your sleep actually help with body composition goals on trying to lower it. Right. So not just going from obese to healthier, but from, you know, a decent, body fat level currently to very, very lean. So we'll talk potentially about both, but, but the connection, you know, one, one thing that I say about sleep is that there's really no part of the body that goes untouched when you are not getting good sleep or when you are. And so, um, it's an opportunity and it's also, it's a, it's a risk. And the early signs, um, that there was a connection here showed that people that gets less sleep than, um, than average. So less than what's typically prescribed seven to nine hours per night. People that get less than that have about a 55% increased risk of being obese, right? So if you're getting less than six hours per night, your risk for being obese is 55% over than those who, who get more sleep. Okay. So that's an association that's worth exploring. And about around at the same time, um, there was also some notice that if you put people under extended sleep deprivation protocol, so keeping them up for like one, two, three, even four days in a row, that there's a pretty significant alteration in their metabolism of certain hormones that relate to eating behavior and also fat metabolism, things like ghrelin and leptin. Those were then followed up upon so that it was less of an extreme protocol. What about just one night of sleep loss? What about several nights of partial sleep restriction? So you're just not quite getting the amount of sleep that your body wants. Um, so it was tested a lot of different ways. 
And uh, yeah, and there's essentially there's a variety of things that are going on that seem to uh, indicate that when you don't get the sleep that you um, that your body wants, I'll say not that you want, but that your body wants, because mm-hmm. sometimes those can be different. Yeah. Um, then uh, there's a variety of things that happen. So from a metabolic perspective, your ability to regulate blood glucose is diminished or impaired or affected. Right. So you have, if you, let's say, get um, just four nights, four hours of sleep or three to four row, you, and this is a healthy young control. At the end of that period, when that person wakes up in the morning, their glucose effectiveness or their, or their insulin effectiveness, the ability of insulin to do its job, storing, yep. uh, storing glucose, is significantly impaired. So the person looks like a diabetic. They're, they're, they're not diabetic, but in that moment, they are regulating glucose as though they were, seemingly. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know now that just uh, alterations in the amount of sleep time that you get is problematic for blood glucose control. Now, we do know that diabetes and obesity track but uh, so they, if you are obese, your 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 likelihood of getting diabetes is higher, mm-hmm. and um, and vice versa. But they're also dis- they're also dissociable. So you can have somebody who's thin and, and diabetic, and you can have somebody who is overweight and obese, but they're actually um, they're not. But um, you do track pretty like your risk for being diabetic goes up a lot when you're obese. Um, so we don't know that that's one thing that might be associated with body fat regulation. Then there's also looking at the ability of fat tissue itself to serve as a reservoir for glucose in the blood. Now, typically, a lot around body composition discussions, it's about trying trying to prevent the storage of, you know, glucose into fat tissue. But mm-hmm. it's actually a healthy part of uh, your our metabolism for glucose to then be kept within a narrow range. And so we have these disposal sites in the body, like liver, muscle, and fat that then are able to take blood glucose out of the bloodstream, store it in different areas as glycogen um, or as even as triglyceride and because as it goes through a conversion process. And then that stores as a reservoir for us to access that energy when we've not eaten, right? And we're doing high-intensity exercise, high, exercise that, has, that is of a certain intensity. Then we'll start to call upon those, those resources. Um, how much we call upon those resources is also going to depend on our diet and even the, the state of our, our, uh, our health um, and our state of our how many mitochondria we have and our fitness. So there's a lot of things that are going to modify, but, but that's generally how that, that's working. And what we don't want is that, those fat, that fat tissue to be resistant to being able to store blood glucose, even though that sounds a little counterintuitive. counterintuitive. Because what that means then is that if that's uh, sort of pathological, then our blood glucose levels stay higher and they stay higher uh, in general. Mm-hmm. They stay higher after a meal. And that seems to be a toxic situation for neurons. And that's that's why diabetes that's one of the reasons why diabetes is so problematic is that high levels of continuously high levels of insulin and glucose seem to be problematic for the body and cause uh, cause disease. And uh, and so we don't want that. Um so one thing that happens in sleep loss is that you do see fat tissue become um, insulin resistant. Right. All right. So then just one night. So take you healthy young guy, no, you know, no sleep for a night or less less than optimal sleep, and uh, you're going your fat tissue is going to be resistant to insulin. Okay. Now, um, 
the other thing that I know we've talked about, total sleep deprivation, so not getting any sleep for a couple days, one to many days, partial sleep restriction, so only getting a little bit of sleep, mm-hmm. um, not enough, day after day for like three or four days. Both of those can cause alterations in glucose metabolism. But then also, if let's say you get a full night's sleep, but I suppress just your deep sleep or your REM sleep, either or, that too will actually um, might be what's – uh, the components of sleep that are most predictive to healthy metabolism the next day. And on top of it, we also have circadian timing. Yep. And so circadian rhythms like gut metabolism are now well-known factors in the state of our health, right? So 15 years ago, they were not part of any model that was describing or predicting our health, right? It was exercise, sleep, or excuse me, exercise and diet, and now gut health, circadian rhythms, and sleep. Um, sleep is a circadian rhythm, but there's a lot of aspects to our circadian rhythm. So the circadian rhythms are repeatable 24-hour processes that affect all sorts of things in the body. So when we feel like going to the bathroom, when we feel like eating, um, when we feel like sleeping, and when those rhythms become misaligned, so they're not tightly synchronized to the light rhythm of the 24-hour period, which would be, which would occur, let's say, when we, you know, um, usually go to bed by 10, but we stay up till three in the morning, right? That can cause a little bit of what's called social jet lag. And that means that in our body, it's going to take a couple of days for all those rhythms to line up again. And what's important about them lining up is that we have what are called phase relationships. And so, at a certain time of day, cortisol might be high and melatonin is low and growth hormone is low. And all of these things will line up to provide a pretty distinct metabolic signature that is then telling the body it's time to do this. And when those get off, then it's like a symphony that is all playing the same music but slightly out of, of uh, you know, off pace. And, um, and that – we know too things that you know circadian rhythm disorders that leads to metabolic issues, cardio fourfold increases in cardiovascular disease, drastically increased risks of risk of obesity and cancer. So it's another example about how when your body's not getting what it needs, mm-hmm. then the result are these things that are chronic disease, including putting on more fat. So we talked about sleep loss, different types, um, total sleep loss, partial sleep deprivation, circadian misalignment, reduction in slow wave sleep and REM sleep. All of these things can then alter just, you know, just looking at one marker, glucose regulation, that, um, and appetite and suppression of, uh, and um, uh, storage of, of body fat. So that's sort of like, an overview of the metabolic component of sleep loss. Mm-hmm. So basic, well, in, in a very, very summarized way, um, when we don't get sleep kind of in the way that our body wants it to be, the body just doesn't work as well as it should be. Um, so when yeah. you are trying to be in a, a calorie deficit or you are trying to kind of eat healthily and have an optimal body composition, if your sleep's not in a place it should be, then Um, all things being equal between one person and another person getting insufficient sleep, the person who's getting their sleep um, in the right kind of manner is going to have a better body composition. And that's just sleep. Is that kind of a good, something that could happen? Yeah, it it is a good summary that it's it's very, it's it's much more likely that somebody who had an easier time regulating their body fat, and that is from a metabolic level, and also from a brain performance level, which we'll talk about. Um, but one other thing that um, I'll mention too about hormones is that Aaron Hanlon out of the University of Chicago um, did some work showing that anandamide 
which is two or two arachidonic glycerol, which is a, a internal endocannabinoid. So think uh, can, cannabinoids, marijuana. Right. Um, that that is a natural system that is involved in eating behavior. And when people don't get the sleep that they need, then the rhythm of anandamide is altered so that it's higher in the afternoon. You have higher. It usually rises, but the the amount that it rises is about twenty five percent greater in those that um, have uh, missed out on sleep the night before. Well, I mean, think about what anandamide does for people. Is it actually is involved in the the munchies, which is really hedonic or pleasure eating. All right, so you're not eating because uh, there's a homeostatic drive telling the body that the body's telling I need calories, but you're eating because the pleasure. There's really two different systems that are regulating what type of food we put in our body, right? It's right. you know I need calories and I like food, and those are distinct, and they interact, but they're distinct, mm-hmm. and it really ramps up the I like food component wow. of, um, and that is a, a metabolic. Um, you know, consequences of sleep loss. So, um, yeah, so that's a really interesting one as well. Um, what I, as I've sort of been hunting down this story, um, what became even more interesting to me is the central effect, the role that sleep loss has in the brain right. and how we perceive food and then how that puts us in a very unique situation the next day to then do several, several things, pursue food that um, doesn't maybe align with our own goals for ourselves. So if you have body composition goals, right, you're trying to not eat Oreos, but you're much less likely to say fuck it. And, and that's, um, that's pretty well described now, actually. Um, and so that's called effort discounting. So that means that you're less likely, and and we can all recognize this certain degree when you're really tired, it's just eat harder to work towards something that you even want. Right. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you don't want it, you know, but you just, um, it's just easier to discount that. Right. Um, then there are areas of the brain that are involved in reward. So they are calculating, uh, the reward of something in our environment. So let's say you do love Oreos or donuts and, but they're totally not on your plan. You're not doing that right now. You don't, you know, maybe you don't even want to eat them in general, but you're certainly not doing that now because you're trying to, you know, the, enter in a competition in eight weeks or something. Mm-hmm. Well, when those, what you see is that when people undergo sleep loss, then the areas of the brain that are responsible for encoding that, that pleasure signal are really active and areas of the brain that are responsible for, uh, signaling, um, you know, eh, maybe you shouldn't do that. The consequences of your decisions, those are essentially offline, right? You don't see as much activation of those areas once you've spent a night awake. <laughs> and so what's, what's so, I think, interesting about that fMRI work is that the behavior of sort of overeating hyperpalatable pleasure foods aligns with the brain activity that then suggests that that would be the behavior that you would want to start that you would see. Yeah. Right. So, you know, the pursuit of pleasure. So, um, one of the interesting things that, you know, it's, it's science is, I think a lot of times we spend too much time trying to figure out why can't there just be a perfect study? Mm-hmm. Right. And the way that science really works is that we have to piece together a lot of different parts of science over time. So it's a frustratingly slow process. But when at least a study does a good job answering a sliver of a question, um, there's a lot that it doesn't answer, address, right? 
But when you try to look at all of that over the course of 10, 15 years, and then you can start to get a kind of sense of what's happening. And what seems to be an issue is that people that um, undergo sleep loss have a tendency to eat a lot um, extra calories more than their body needs. So let's just use a number of, let's say you needed 2,000 calories just to make it a clean, easy number. You're much more likely to overeat. Um, so eat, you know, let's say 2,500 calories um, under sleep loss. And a lot of those calories tend to come after dinner or from dinner on. Right. Um, and I'll actually make a, um, a point here for my own podcast. So I did a podcast with Jeff Rothschild and Greg Potter. Greg's out of the UK and Leeds. Mm-hmm. And we talk about breakfast skipping. That's sort of like the, the title of that podcast. But in it, we talk basically about food timing and um, across a cross 24-hour period. And essentially, the tendency – you know, eating more calories later in the day, even if you ate the exact same amount of calories within your wake period, eating them earlier in the day seems to probably be a better approach for body composition, which right. is interesting. And um, and what you see here is that people uh, that are sleep deprived are eating a lot of most of their calories later in the day, and they're eating extra calories later in the day. And you wonder if that is has something to do with people, um, you know, the frontal cortex gets tired, right? The frontal cortex part of self-control areas, right? But the more that you use it, um, there's, it's basically a, a sort of a single source, a single resource for all the types of decisions that you make. So during the day, you're up, you're active, you're, you're you know, you're, you're at work and that can get a little fatigued. Mm-hmm. And so you're, again, area of the brain be, you know, the more, if it's tired, it's less likely to be able to say, Hey, stick with your goals here. Mm-hmm. Just do your, your thing. Um, that's why I think with people with body composition goals, just being on having rules and having everything planned out. And it's like, you're not deciding, you're just doing what you had pre-decided is a really awesome idea. Um, and that's how most people do it, right? It's just, you're not, you're not trying to figure it out in the moment. It's been figured out and you're just executing and then you're dealing. Like if you're a little hungry, you just let it pass and then you, you know, you can move on. That's, I think, super smart. Um, but most people are not like that. And a lot of people that even are doing that are not like that at certain times of year, right? And of course, you don't want to be gaining a lot of extra fat if you have body composition goals when you're not hyper-focused on it and planning every meal. Um, and so that's going to be just knowing about that is, is a useful skill. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm talking your ear off. Sorry. No, no, no. It's uh, it, absolutely <laughs> fascinating. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, for sleep and getting it under control, it's important to make, allow us to make the right decisions with our nutrition, but also to, with any nutrition we get, for our body to handle it the best. So you're kind of getting like a double whammy. You're more likely to break your diet plan and any diet plan you do manage to stick to isn't gonna function for you as well. Um, And I think, yeah, I can completely relate to the decision fatigue and the things you talked about in terms of kind of in the evening, especially people kind of splurging. That's typically where it happens. And um, I think everyone can relate to the fact like having a meal plan for short periods of time at least can be very, very powerful and a great way to go about things. So I think um, if you know that you suck with your sleep a little bit, then potentially having at least that structure is going to help someone uh, in a really good way. Yeah, that's a good point. So if you know you didn't get sleep, because, you know, you can't totally determine the type of sleep that you're going to get, right? You can do a lot of things, and we could talk about this, a lot of things to then help you structure um, your life so that you get good sleep. And then yet still, that's no guarantee that it will happen. In response to you getting 
less than ideal sleep for whatever reason. If you can have a, you're like, okay, I didn't sleep. My ideal, I feel a little sleepy today. Therefore, I'm at greater risk of, you know, doing not doing things that don't align with my goals. Just be mindful of it, and mm-hmm. I, I don't use that necessarily to be be stressed out, but just say, okay, well, I'm going to be a little extra vigilant. I'm going to use sort of my conscious control to say, all right, I'm going to be vigilant to watch out for basically bad behaviors, and you can essentially try to affect the system by being more conscious of the likely reality of you know how you're going to act in that day. Um, so, all right, I'm no dessert after, just make, you know, make some rolls, no dessert after dinner, whatever it is mm-hmm. that is um, where you think you might be vulnerable, just sort of uh, cut it off at the past, right? Anticipate it and know how you're going to react instead of time, ahead of time. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, yeah. just immediately offhand, I can imagine people thinking about like, if they go out on a night out and they're a bit hungover and a bit tired, obviously mm-hmm. there's multiple things playing into then hunger signaling and decision making. But I mean, sleep, yeah. so for me, when I, if I go out and I, I don't drink much, even the fact I've got way less sleep just makes me the next day much less vigilant to all of these things. But being mindful yeah. of it definitely is something I think, uh, even myself, I can take away and be like, right, that's something I need to think about uh, because yeah. it's it, similar to, and you've probably thought about this um, impact on kind of, uh, we know about NEAT or non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And as we diet, this aspect of our life just drops. So the fact you know that mm. and you can kind of mm. think about it, you're like, okay, maybe I will go for this extra walk because I'm getting a bit lazy, I can tell. So I think, yeah, having that mindfulness is really, really handy. And um, I think you, something our listeners definitely want to hear and something I'm definitely interested in is how mm. can we go about making kind of sleep a priority and how can we make sure the sleep we're getting in as best as we can is good quality sleep because I know I, for example like when I and we spoke before off air when I was dieting for my show um, and in that calorie deficit my sleep was getting worse and mm. however much I tried it, it seemed really difficult to make sure I was kind of sleeping through um, so yeah. I'd love to hear some kind of tips and ideas of how we can improve that yeah I mean I think I've never done a body composition contest myself but I imagine it being stressful for multiple reasons yes. right you're in a caloric deficit you're training hard and you've got sort of the pressure of the show right and all of that I think can lead to you know it, it, that's adding to your stress so I think um, you know with stress there's sort of controlled and uncontrolled stress right so controlled stress is things that matter like your mindset matters right um, it matters no matter what and then there's the, the uncontrolled stress is like well I've got a jerk boss and I've got or a chronic di- you know disease diagnosis and it's just constantly there and it's some of, a lot of it's out of your control right right either this is just sort of examples of stress. Now, in this situation where you're pushing hard, I think making sort of within day relaxation a component of your training is a smart idea. Wow. Um, yeah. And so, what, what what does that mean? Well, maybe it's a nap. Maybe it's just twenty minutes to just go for like a, a light walk and just. It's really about just uh, getting away from your your thoughts and stress. So, like meditation. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and meditation itself. Uh, so that can be um, useful. There's an area of the brain called the default mode network. Um, it is a sort of distinct group of anatomical locations that function together that are essentially, it's also called the task negative network. These are the things that are um, when you're basically walking around during the day 
it's this default mode network that is active. It's sort of, you know, it's, you're talking to yourself, you're, um, you know, the, uh, kind of daydreaming. Yep. And this is actually the part that's um, active more than any other uh, part. You know, now with today, think about how much more time we had for that before internet and computers. Now we're constantly task forward types of uh, activities. We're always focused on something in front of us versus having time to sort of process our own thoughts. And I think that that's to sort of create an analogy creates a bit of a backlog. And so of, of ideas, and I think one of the reasons why meditation is so powerful is because it does, even though you're trying to shut down all thinking, that you're also giving that default mode network a time to process some of its own thoughts. Yeah. So just having, I call this time with mind. Just have, give yourself some time every day to have time with your mind and just let it, just let it, you know, go off. So no, no phone, um, you know, no podcast or video, mm-hmm. um, but just, just sort of sit there and be, be quiet. And I think that that can actually really help um, you feel more relaxed, surprisingly. So that's one, one idea. Um, then how much, so is exercise good for sleep or not? It is definitely, we know that, and you can look at, at an extreme example to know that it's not good. So if you put somebody under bed rest, right, where, you know, for a variety of reasons, if someone has head surgery or, um, even just in experimental studies, they, they subject people to bed rest for periods of time, totally messes with their sleep, mm-hmm. right? So we know that, um, physical activity is is a part of, of sleep. Now, how much physical activity actually depends on what your level is, right? So let's say you, just to make the math easy, let's say you exercise for an hour today, every day on average, but today it was the weekend and you exercise for two and a half hours, right? Mm-hmm. When you go a lot more than what you typically do, then that is a little riskier for messing up your sleep versus deeping it. And it can be both. You could end up getting the best sleep of your life, or you could be actually, actually get kind of, kind of bad sleep. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so that's, I would just say it's risky, right? It's not, it's not definite like, Oh, you're going to get bad sleep, but you could. So think of how much, so yes, exercise is great. Um, but it's sort of like periodization with, with lifting, right? You want to, um, it, you know, you don't go, if you're doing like five reps at 200 pounds, you know, for three sets, trying to do just weight, you know, weight twice as much as that, right? You just take it by a little, little, little bit of steps. Similarly, you know, so if you're, if you're giving your body, um, just a little bit more stress than it can handle, then getting good sleep is, is, is you're going to get good sleep with that typically when you give it a lot more then that's, um, there's the risk. Mm-hmm. And then around your, you know, timing is a hugely important so the timing of when you are, what you do during the day, um, I would eat, I would aim to eat your meals at the exact same time every day, close to it, right? So instead of, uh, because what happens in the circadian system is the body is looking at past behaviors to try to predict future behavior and metabolic efficiency or in, in all efficiency is sort of a loaded term, but I'll just say, um, responsivity, right? So if you eat breakfast every day at 8 a.m., the body's going to actually prepare enzymes to make yep. sure that you metabolize a meal at 8 a.m. more effectively than you do at 10 a.m. Because it's not used to getting, it's not typically used to getting a meal at 10 a.m. So, you know, eat like a clock, 
um, is another is another good thing. And then try to have then there's some, you know, some questions about what about your last meal? Should you try to cut it off? Because a fasting period is mm-hmm. usually um, I would say that, you know, the rules for body composition might be different. Right. For those that are just pursuing general health. But I would also really encourage people that are in sort of the, the, the have a goal of trying to, you know, mo- add lean mass and decrease body fat to spend some time during the year fasting. I really encourage that. Why? Because it is a protein state that the body will actually clean out um, a lot of broken down proteins, protein aggregates. And um, what ends up, what that ends up happening is it makes your body more sensitive to hormones um, for growth. So essentially a little bit of rest from your high protein Mm-hmm. you know, higher calorie diet is actually a really, really good thing, even just for your health and also cancer suppression, but also for, um, g- making gains, at, you know, uh, after later. Right. And yeah. And since you go into, you know, with a low calorie diet, you're going to be, be producing ketones, ketones are muscle preserving. So you're not going to lose a lot of body composition. Um, or a lot, excuse me, a lot of, uh, um, uh, muscle. Um, so these are sort of like, you know, while sleep is, there are th- specific things you can do for sleep. There's also, um, interestingly enough, there's that very, there's that feed forward cycle, right? So the healthier you are, the better you're able to get good sleep, the better yeah. sleep you get, the better you're able you are to be healthy mm-hmm. and it just keeps going. So you want to be healthy from a lot of different angles. Um, and, uh, yeah. So I'd say when you're in your, you know, um, like the sort of the tractor beam between uh, here and I'm eight weeks out, yeah. you know, do your thing after that. I would, you know, within a couple of weeks after a competition, I'd plan a, you know, a five day fast or at least a couple day fast, um, where it's, you know, low protein, low, low calorie, low protein. Right. And that's going to be, I think a smart approach. Really yeah. interesting. Yeah. I've not heard, um, the, I have heard a little bit about fasting potential benefits to fasting, but not specifically to sleep. So, um, no, that's mm-hmm. really interesting. Do you think five days is kind of a maximum or rec- minimum or, um, do you think you could get the benefits through a shorter approach? Yeah. So it's, um, it's a good question. And, um, I think that not all protocols have been tested for comparative efficacy and for specific situations, but we do know that um, we do build up protein aggregates in our brain and um, sleep helps to purge those. Mm-hmm. And you know whether or not fasting could actually help purge those as well um, is not yet been just, you know, uh, investigated directly. But I think that, um, understanding that general mechanism, um, the brain could be spared of that benefit, but probably isn't. So again, think of fasting in a way as a way, potentially as a way to sort of augment sleep just by the virtue of doing this important, uh, you know, cleansing process, Mm -hmm. right? So keeping sleep healthy, um, so yeah, so that's one idea, and then you know I do I track. So on Human OS, which is my company, yep. um, we cr- we create peer reviewed health courses. We we give people ideas about how to like you know recipes and workout daily workouts, um, and then we also track. And so the track tracking has been in my mind interesting for a while in that 
you don't have to have a ton of information about your sleep in order for it be for it to be effective. Amazing. If you can, it, right? So, and here's why, right? I call sleep the mundane but meaningful. Like it's really it really matters, but it's easy to overlook, right? It's easy to just sort of disregard it. And so when you do track, just by tracking, first of all, forming a time, a goal. I want to be in bed by let's yep. say eleven every night. All right, that's one thing. You now have a specific goal of when you'd like to be in bed. That's good. Two, um, how long would you like to stay in bed? And so, for example, if you have to, if you know you have to wake up at seven a.m., then if you're going to bed at one, you know you're just not going to sleep eight hours, no matter what. You're just not giving yourself enough time. Now, just being in bed for a certain amount of time doesn't guarantee that you'll sleep that time that long, but you're at least giving your body the opportunity yeah. to. Ben, how much sleep do I need? Um, I just wrote a couple of um, articles for the Aura Ring, which is a sleep tracker. Amazing. Myself. I'm not on the charger right now. <laughs> I just wrote it down to read for it. Um, but it's all about how much sleep did you need. And I talk about some of the, the all the mechanisms because it's a difficult question to address just with like a, a short answer. Yeah. D- definitely there's about, um, uh, you know, seven to nine is going to capture what most people need. Um, but there's, there's, so there's between people differences and then there's within person differences. So if you're fighting an infection, you're training hard, yep. then, you know, you might actually need more time in bed and Sherry Ma and um, others uh, that have done research in athletes show that if you actually take a bunch of athletes and you do surveys and questions and reaction time tests and they say, oh, I feel fine. And there's no, they report no problems at their baseline. And yep. if you then assign them to spend another hour in bed their accuracy improves, mm. their reaction time improves, right? All of these things around athletic performance, the recovery improves, gets better. And so, you know, if you think about all that hard work you're putting into the gym and during the day, right, sleep is the time of night where you're giving the opportunity for that stimulus to become results. Yep. That's where it becomes results. And I think a lot of people totally understand that. And so the tracking part is just helping you stay mindful and engaged and mm-hmm. what i look at is all right am i am i getting the appropriate and pro- approximate amount of time in bed per night and is my bedtime so time in bed is one idea and then is my bedtime or pretty pretty stable mm-hmm. and that's a simple and easy way to just stay engaged day by day and i've been doing it for years and it's really helpful if you let it i mean a lot of i talk a lot about tracking and behavior at devices is is they're going to do all the work for you um like you know you hear people with that fitbits for example like oh you know i I worked for a little bit and i didn't feel like i was walking anymore or you know i i it was the same thing you know i was walking the same amount of steps or whatever and i'm like well it's this is not going to make you walk more steps you're going to make you walk more steps right you're going to make you so you have to empower it with value you have to say okay i've got goals i'm going to check in and pay attention to them i'm going to take opportunities to go for a walk you know same same with sleep right i'm going to have goals i'm going to track it i'm going to say okay you know i, I went to bed a little bit late last night i'm going to make sure i'm going to get into bed early it's a way to engage yeah that's that's how it is right that's that's what its benefit is now that's how it's been and we're now getting to a phase where the sleep the the quality of this of the actual sleep cycle measurement is improving and getting pretty good and with that i think is in this first boring part that we've already been able to do for years but there will be some additional benefit particularly for athletes that can correspond sleep staging to can both help you understand a little bit more what are some of the behaviors that i do during the day that seem to help me get good sleep mm-hmm. right so if i get a lot of sunshine um before noon then that can actually help me sleep deeper at night and you it might help you find some more of those correlations 
Nice. And it also, and also might say, you know, gosh, when I eat dinner early, then I'm sleeping more deeply. And um, so, okay, so that is, so it can help you identify some potential connections that can optimize sleep. Um, and then there's also, like, for example, with the Aura Ring, what it does is it, uh, uh, it, it has HRV on it, so heart rate variability. And, I, you know, I think that these sort of signals are, are people are really excited about them mm -hmm. and exactly how to make them very predictive of what you should do. Does that override your just your subjective ability yeah. to guide your own behaviors in life? Not yet, I think, but if you can use it as not something that is sort of determining what you do, but helping to kind of inform you mm -hmm. and, and, and then, you know, your brain is making the plan because of course, you know, there's times where you sort of feel you know, the HRV might say that you're stressed, but you're like, I'm just going to go do my workout. I'm going to get a great, and you can, and you get there and 10 minutes in, you're having a great workout. Um, and then there's times where, you know, it's like the opposite is true, right? You know, like it says you're fine, but you feel terrible. And, you know, I think listening to your brain and body is, is, is I, I, I don't like when tech sort of overrides your, like the natural instinct, that relationship you have with you to say, you know, like to really check in and say, what's the, what's the best for me today and trust that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think that tech automatically causes a disrelationship with, you know, the, the mind and the body, mm -hmm. but I think it can, and you just have to have, you just have to sort of treat powerful tech appropriately. So those, those are some thoughts about it, but I would not everybody likes to track, but I would encourage everybody to at least consider it and, and try it because again, uh, this is how I look at it. Let's say over the course of one year, you end up sleeping 20 minutes more per night because you engage with your sleep tracker. It's meaningful. Yeah. It's meaningful. No, that's, that's fantastic. And I think that's, I mean, our listeners would definitely be able to relate because they're, a lot of them will be tracking maybe their, their protein, fat, and carbohydrates. Yeah. And they know the value in that. Like, it's huge for body composition yeah. change. And a lot of them will be tracking their steps. And they know that by doing that, they end up like, some people will be like, oh, I started tracking my steps. I was at 5,000. I then up them to 10,000 because that was recommended. So with sleep, I think a lot of people even who are listening will be tracking their sleep. And if they're not, they're now going to be way more convinced to do so. Um, yeah. so I know you have a short period of time with us, so I, I do want to make sure that people will know where to contact you. And I mean, we've touched on loads of good things, but I know there's so much more there. Um, but I know you have lots of resources out there. So if people do want to learn mm. more about sleep and how they can use that to kind of optimize their body composition, where should they look? Yeah, great question. So this is something I've been thinking deeply about for a long time. There's a lot to be known about sleep. Does an individual need to know everything in order for them to sort of optimize? And that's why we, for human OS, the way that I created it is I created a behavior model called the loop model to sustain health behaviors. And the idea is which in order for somebody to master their own health practice, which is to become really expert at, be, at being healthy themselves, mm -hmm. they should understand why they're doing a behavior, how to do it, if they're doing it, and if it's working. And so... The courses that we create are sort of the anchor to our learning system. And what we want people to do is become fluent at sort of key learning objectives of these important topics. Now, that doesn't mean you need to know every single thing about sleep. Um, it just means that you have enough information that sort of keeps you motivated and guided so that the, the behaviors that you're engaging in are directed towards things that are going to be the, give you the best bang for the buck. So I'm coming out with a course within the next couple of months. They're almost done, so we just need to record them Amazing. on uh, sleep and athletics, the foundations of sleep, which are 
which is so important for then understanding what are the factors that are actually like determining, um, you know, what's going on here, right? And the more you understand those, the more you can intervene, not because I, I created a rule, like a coach created a rule, because you are like, okay, this is, I understand how the system works. Now I have enough information to sort of like plan it on my own. That's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, sleep and cognition, sleep and metabolism. And, you know, the way that we do them is that they're all like one or three minute lessons and then there's a quiz and we're not quizzing you to give you a grade. The other cool thing about that is that, you know, eight months later, we can remind you of the things you've already learned to keep that information top of mind. Um, and that, that I think, so the goal is, or the, the point of it is, let's say you, you read a book that's really good, but you're going to remember some of it, remember less a month later, and eventually just remember a little bit. If you do a course, which are like, let's say 45 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes, we're going to actually go through all the the hard information, pull out the most important points, educate you on them so that you have higher retention than the book. And then you're going to have higher retention long term because a year later, you're still getting that that information circulated and reminded. And that's pretty cool. So we're going to try to make you fluent in understanding this stuff. So that's, that's what I do. <laughs> that's amazing. And uh, mm-hmm. so if they want to find out more and how they can actually get on the course, where can I, I can yeah. put a link below that they can find that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, me is the website yeah. and, um, that's a public help. Yeah. And then, uh, my podcast is human OS radio and it's on, you know, a bunch of different channels. We, I host it on SoundCloud. Um, and then Twitter where human OS underscore me and, and YouTube. So there's, um, just look for human OS dot me and, and, and you can find us in a, your, your favorite social media platform. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I yeah. want to say a massive thank you for coming on Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, I've certainly taken away some really, really key points and I'm sure I'm going to have to listen back to this. So I keep taking away those key points. Um, I'm sure the right. listeners have really enjoyed this. So yeah, massive thank you for coming on. And uh, I I don't know if you'd be interested in coming on again, maybe in future, if there's a lot of questions sure. for you. Um, but I'm sure people will be interested to hear more from you. Um, so yeah, if, if you do me the pleasure, that'd be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, let me know when you get some good questions and we'll, we can uh, plan something else. Awesome. So you've heard that, guys. If you have good questions or any questions, Drop them down below um, and we'll look to potentially get Dan on again. So thank you for listening um, and we'll catch you soon. All right. Take care. Thanks, everybody.